Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Music is Live podcast. This is your host, Lou Mavs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musiciesLivePodcast.com. I am incredibly grateful, as I am for every one of my guests, but this one especially because this is our first time meeting. I'm incredibly grateful that I have this gentleman here on my show today. He is a kick-ass guitar player. And as anyone who knows me, I'm a guitar player. And Laws of Attraction, you end up, you know, wanting to talk shop with practically every guitar player that strikes you as, oh, wow, he's good. Well, this guy's damn good. And I'm proud to have him on my show. Like me, he's a fellow Astoria boy, Astoria Queens. And he has his own band called The Point, who, as he just told me, are in the process of recording and releasing their third album, which we'll talk to him about. And he's the only other man that I know of who loves lime green guitars as much as I do. And, you know, we'll talk about his fixation with uh, Sir and also his endorsement with Friedman. We're going to get to all of that. But I want to introduce to the show Mr. Adnan Sulaiman. Adnan, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much, Lou. Um, you're, you're too kind. Too, too kind. Uh, that was, um, I almost got emotional there. <laughs> emotional? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been given an, an introduction like that before well thank but you I, you have low expectations sir no just kidding really nice to connect really nice to actually get to talk to you so um, um thank you for having me no problem you know the purpose of music is life is to bring musicians and music 
to a forefront that is not currently being covered in today's mainstream culture. You know, the whole purpose of this is to disrupt the narrative and mm-hmm. disrupt the status quo. And I have nothing against pop music. I like it as long as it's good. My problem is with music out there today, it's hard to tell who's who. I don't want to add to what's already popular. I want to add new artists that I think need to be heard. And I heard your band and I heard your guitar playing and I just thought it was something special. And that's why I had you here. So I'm glad that we had this time together. So again, thanks for being part of it. Likewise. So a little background, you being a guitar player, how old are you exactly? I just turned 32. Congratulations. How long have you been playing guitar? Give me some of uh, that backstory. What made you pick the instrument up? So I, I, I want to say I've probably been playing guitar for about 15 years now, 15, maybe going into 16. It all started um, way back home when I, way before I moved to the U.S., I lived in Bangladesh. And I had, you know, it was like high school. I had a girlfriend and, and I, I found out that um, she was cheating on me. Boo! 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 And, and that just led to a lot of my friends being like, you know what? You know, you could either, you know, sulk and like just drown in your own tears or. Or write a platinum selling emo album. <laughs> you know. Which I'm glad you didn't. Close enough. Um, but yeah, you know, they were like, you know, keep yourself distracted. And then one of my friends lended me his like really cheap broken down acoustic guitar. And that was it. I got that guitar and, and, and it, it honestly just, you know, I never felt that breakup. I, I really didn't. I just got into the guitar and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then I just started to strum and try to make whatever noise I could with it. And that was it. I just, it stayed with me ever since. So it was the rebound that never left, essentially. Essentially, yes. <laughs> it's a rebound you that's see, stayed. rebounds do work. Well, who were some of your early influences? Uh, that's a really good question, actually. I think when I started learning guitar now in, in, in Bangladesh, for whatever reason, it was very competitive. There were like a lot of guitar players. And I think I went with a very um, backward approach. I started off music by buying from suggestions that a, a, pers- a friend of mine had given to me. It was like, try these two cassettes. It was like, not even CDs, but cassettes. The first cassette I bought was a Dream Theater one. I think it was Images and Words, the album. And then the second cassette, cassette that this friend had recommended I buy was Ingve Mumstein, Rising Force. Or so you, you were doomed to shred from the beginning, essentially, but is what you were saying. Started, <laughs> it just started with shreds. And honestly, like the Dream Theater one, I didn't feel it. It was so proggy. I guess at the time I didn't know what the word was, but it wasn't music that you could jive with necessarily. Not to say that you could with Ingve too, but something about Ingve did it for me. And 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 I think that was it. So Ingve Momsin, and then I looked more into his influences. And then Richie Blackmore was a big one. And I think my longest influence to this day that I look up to and, and after quite a bit is um Marty Friedman, Megadeth guitar player. He's been probably the biggest one, biggest influence of mine. One of my favorite videos that you posted was you completely nailing the Tornado of Souls song. That is my favorite Megadeth song. One of my favorite solos ever recorded onto tape. It is not easy. People could say it is, but you're probably not playing it right. He nailed it note for note. (laughs) Thank you. I've been playing that solo for years until I actually took the video of it. And, And when I go back to like older videos that I may have had, yeah, you could play it note for note. You could learn it note for note, get it in time. But what Marty Friedman was really known for, or known is still known for, is his insane feel. It's incredible to even try to recreate one note that that guy plays because it's just no one like him. No one else out there sounds like him. Um, I think, yeah. So thank you so much. That video, I, I hold really really close to me and even till today it's like if i need to like get my chops back up it's always like going back to tornado tornado of souls 
Well, you know, you definitely nailed the emotion of it. It's one thing to play every note. It's a lot different to feel every note. Like hearing you play is like I could tell you, you know, you were into it. Friedman, it's funny. I never really thought of him like such as such as how you put it. But when I think about everything that he's released from Cacophony to his 10 years with Megadeth to even what he's doing now in Japan, he never sounds like he's winging it. He always sounds like he's having a blast doing it. As technical as it is, you can tell he puts his, his heart and soul into everything he does, which I think is what separates him from everyone else. And the only other guy that could have done that, I think, is Jason Becker. I just love his yeah. playing. And, you know, I'm so grateful that both of them came out together when they did cacophony and it's funny i don't i don't know if you if you ever came across my the, the video that that actually helped me in life was one of my earliest youtube videos that i posted in 2010 and it was a jason becker cover i did a tribute to jason becker for his song altitudes from perpetual burn i believe that's a great one yeah and at the time there wasn't much people from that region of the world posting videos on youtube so i posted it and it did extremely well it got like i don't know 20 30 000 views overnight and it spread and it went to it went to jason becker to the point where he actually commented under my video saying like this is incredible thank you dear friend and something like that and i went to forums and i woke up and i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe like a really crappy video i did it's so crappy that if you were to watch it today you'll realize my guitar sound is coming out of one speaker it's not even coming through both speakers i had whatever gear i had i just recorded everything and back then was primitive times too it was a one take i didn't know how to do edits i just pressed play and record and i just played it and i don't think i could play that i, I i've not played that song ever since um but at the time learning it, I think it just like really pushed me far for guitar. And again, that's how I came across Marty Freeman too, like Speed, Metal Symphony, and, and just mm -hmm. Cacophony, everything they did. It was like, was insane. And to, to this day, I don't know if there's anyone out there that really touches what they did, like in the 80s. Like it's remarkable, the feel, the notes, the melody, the, the intensity. Is just, oh. I mean, you could say that about a lot of players, especially on the Shrapnel label. A lot of people know Paul Gilbert from Mr. Big. I love the stuff he did with Racer X. So I'll always go back to that. I mean, I hear Street Lethal and I'm sorry, I want to go 120 in my Toyota Corolla every time I hear that. <laughs> One album that I love that Jason Becker did, and I know you're a Van Halen fan, the album that he did with David Lee Roth, A Little Late Enough. Yes. I mean, so many of the songs on that, especially Babies on Fire and It's Showtime. Did you see the video where Nilly Roche actually performed It's Showtime in front of him? I did not. Oh, okay. Yes, I did see the video of Nilly Roche performing in front of him. I guess I didn't, I, at the time, I didn't catch what it was she was playing. Ah. I mean, I thought it was so cool that someone that I feel like is changing the face of how people perceive guitar players in front of somebody who did change how we perceive guitar players, you know, a real innovator. I think that was great. Stuff like that. I can't see why anybody wouldn't be inspired by that. Absolutely. I've always wanted to visit him, too. But then I thought I would have at some point, maybe last year. He's in like Richmond, Virginia, some maybe somewhere near there. But um, I always wanted to go by. I thought he, he was is, in California. Is he, is he, I think I think you're right. Yeah. I think mean, he is in California, but I forget. I thought it was something that sounded similar to Richmond. Regardless, from videos that I've seen of people that are fans of his that have actually gone to his house to, you know, wish him well and give him gifts, him and his family are very welcoming, which I think that's such a beautiful thing. I'm so glad that he's feeling better from uh, his recent illness. So yeah. shout out to Jason Becker. Uh, I mean, uh, shout out to a lot of the YouTubers too. I know I definitely saw Herman Lee engage a lot of people for the fundraisers and even got Marty Freeman involved. We got 
I think Jeff Loomis, a lot of people just to like, you know, raise good funds for um, Jason's um, health. Even Eddie Van Halen himself was a big supporter of Jason's. For me, Eddie was one of the three biggest influences of my life. So to see him do what he did for Jason, you know, I just said, you know what, that's really cool. People could sometimes mistake him because he is Eddie Van Halen as a larger than life rock star but at the end of the day he just he was just a human being worthy of the respect that he got so bangladesh you're originally from mm -hmm. how much of a culture clash was it for you coming from bangladesh to astoria queens so good question i was actually born here and i and i kind of I, I lived here for the first 10 years of my life but i guess the prime of like you know going to like high school and, and college and everything happened in bangladesh so i was there from the ages of like 10 all the way to like 21 not too much clash of cultures i would say only because because I guess growing up in America initially, I like I was always a little bit maintained or kept a little bit of of whatever I had learned or felt here. Um, you know, obviously going there, there is a change. But even coming back, how do I say this? Like ever since I moved to Astoria, I don't really get to converse or come in contact with much with people much from like Bangladesh or my country. It's it's I've just kind of like I don't know. I wouldn't say that I kind of isolated myself, but I did in a way. What happened was when I when I moved here and typically. Typically what I've noticed within, you know, wherever you're from, India, Pakistan, Malaysia, <clears throat> there's always a community. There's like a community of people and musicians wherever you go, especially here in New York. And what happened was uh, one of the things I didn't want to do was kind of fall within the community and just do music only within the community. Because most people that I knew at the time kind of fell into that. So, so you see them in a band with other Bengalis or other people from Bangladesh and just doing Bangladeshi music. But when I moved to the United States, I, I had a, a goal or ambition, if you may, where I kind of wanted to reach international grounds. I wanted the music to be just like beyond what my community would accept. And so I started working at Guitar Center and trying to find whoever and anyone I could find to do music. Would that be the Guitar Center on Northern Boulevard? That is the Guitar Center on Northern Boulevard. Nice. So I spent so much money there. <laughs> so at any point, if, um, I don't know, between the years of 2011 and 2014, if you went there, chances are we probably crossed paths or I, I may have helped you with the strings or some, something. So it is possible. At the time, I was playing more bass guitar than guitar because I just couldn't find a gig as a guitar player. Mm -hmm. So my wife said, Well, you play bass, don't you? I said, Yeah. She's like, Well, it's just two less strings. I'm like, It's not, <laughs> it's not just that, but yeah. yeah. So I was constantly buying the Adario strings because at the time I was in a Rush tribute band. So I was just beating the crap out of my strings. I remember I, I found a Steinberger bass. Ooh, and, headless. Yes, and I stuck with that. That was my longest lasting bass. Again, uh, what happened was about four years ago, I ended up getting a gig as a guitar player, which that lasted about three years. And now I'm just doing podcasting and just playing out, you know, well, I'm not even playing out that much, but if you go on the Rat Style Review Network, the YouTube page, we've already released two covers. We did Atomic Punk and we did Stradivarius' Hunting High and Low. We got a couple more covers coming out soon. And that out. I love that song. And, and believe it or not, I'm using a Steinberger again. I just love it. You know what it is? I don't know how you feel about Alan Holdsworth, but I'm a huge fan of his. And when I saw that he was using all headless guitars, I'm like, well, I can't afford a Kiesel, but I could afford a Spirit GT. So... Uh -huh. Well, so yeah, he had, was this carbon headless? I know it was a weird, it's a square shaped body almost. Was it a headless? Yeah. 
he okay. started with the carbon and then i think carbon owns kiesel if i'm yeah. correct so <laughs> then you know he kind of just switched over to kiesel so that's what he was playing to me his tone was just amazing, amazing and his playing skill that's the reason why i did that you touched on something before that when you came back to new york you wanted to branch out from your community mm -hmm. that's how i felt I grew up in a Greek family, mom, dad, two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. At the time, Astoria was very Greek. It's more Greek than ever, even right now. I didn't fit in. I didn't identify with that, but I identified with Metallica and Slayer. I latched on to people who liked that and we just jammed. That's all we did. I think if our paths had crossed in high school, if we were at the same time, I think that I think we would have, hopefully we could have been the next cacophony. That would have been cool. I was insane. I mean, look, if not even that, I'm still being grateful, like, that our paths crossed here. You know, it's it's either or, or or none, right? Definitely. We probably ran into each other on like a message board or whatever on, on Facebook and gravitated towards you because you were a guitar player. But what stuck out aside from your amazing ability was you play a lime green sir. What was it about that that just stood out to you? It's become like an extension of your personality when you play Thank it. You. I mean, and I'll give you a prime example. I always thought you needed Gadeen and a Randall Warhead to play the guitar solo of cemetery gates uh-uh <laughs> you did it with a sir and it's got a your basic solid body tremolo on it you yep. nailed it thank you so it's in defense of you so please continue yeah so the thing about that was again i guess now i'm gonna shoot myself in the foot by saying this it's, it's very weird but i am a true believer of uh guitar feel of course for me a lot of people will always talk about tone and obviously i do believe that every different guitar has different tones depending if it's a telly or a strat or an LP. But for me, for some reason, I never cared too much about the tone, thinking too much about what tone this guitar would produce. More so, number one, the feel. And number two, which sometimes is number one, the aesthetics of it, the look. So if there was ever any time, for me, it's like, it has to be like a love at first sight kind of moment. Like if the moment I see something, disregard the brand, disregard the setup. But if it just has that oomph, like it just attracts my attention that's it i can't stop thinking about it and that's what that green sir did for me i saw it on a website it was way too expensive at the time it was based in arizona i think rainbow guitars it was a custom order and like that lime green just like i felt like it was shiny in my face even from the computer screen i reached out to them they wouldn't budge no discount this was like well in, in a budget where i could not afford it they sent me a couple of pictures we tried talking it down never happened Two years passed by, the guitar sold. And then, yeah, two years later, I see it on Reverb.com. Whoever had bought it now put it up for sale. And I think they're moving or they're leaving the country or something. And the timing was right. And I gave them what I could afford and they accepted it, which was like literally half of the original price of the guitar. Otherwise, wait, uh, wait, wait. It's one thing for it to be the same model. It literally was the same guitar that you saw on RainbowGuitars.com. One of one guitar. Like I still have the emails. I couldn't believe it myself. I looked at his posting on Reverb. You know what? It's actually kind of an eerie story. I looked at the serial numbers. I called Rainbow Guitars to confirm, is this okay? Was this sold to a legitimate? source did it get stolen or something just like a little bit two years later they confirmed like yeah this is the guitar that was on the website they could they were seeing their past records it was sold to some edward something uh, i forget the gentleman's name that was it now this guy accepts my offer and something very weird happens and at that point this is probably the the, the highest uh, the largest purchase i've ever done online without playing guitar without anything and he sent me the guitar he was supposed to send me a case with it the case never came and his account just went closed and that was it this guy had like one sale and 
he left Reverb and I never got the case, which is okay. You know what? Reverb reimbursed me for the case that never came. But I guess it was just meant to be the guitar came. Thank God in a box. I'm like, wow, I was this close. What if the guitar never came out? And his contact, he just went off reverb. There was no, there was no info on him. It was weird, but it, but it worked. Two years later, whatever, that it's the same guitar I had inquired about that I had my eyes on, my heart set on, and I finally got it. I can't see you without it. Thank you. I think that's how it should be. I think that's how we, you know, when we think about Slash, right? It's like, you can't not see him without his destruction Les Paul or any Les Paul, really. It's like, once someone starts acknowledging you or recognizing you for a certain trait, maybe an accessory, or a guitar, you know, like Zach Wilde with the bullseye. Like it's just, or, or you know, John Petrucci. Sometimes I think about him about his Picasso guitars from, from Ibanez back in the day. You know, not for nothing, I loved that guitar. When I first saw that, it stood out to me, the Picasso. I am such a fan. It's my oh. dream guitar. I, I had a Picasso in 2014. It was the P4 model, which was the camo finish. The finish, my least favorite finish of all of his Picasso guitars. I sold it and I regret it to this day. And I've been looking for a Picasso guitar for every day since 2014. One popped up last night on Reaper. And I was so, and it was the finish that I always wanted. Oh, that's the classic. That's the one. And I was talking to the seller and he bought down the price. And I was like, you know what? I have, I'm having dinner. And as soon as I'm done with dinner, I think I can make this purchase. But as soon as I was done with dinner, it was already purchased by someone else. Son of a bitch. Oh, why, why, why? I was so close because these things never pop up. And when they do, the prices are ridiculous. Whoever this individual was had three of them, three different colors. This was the only color that I cared for. All three of them sold overnight. He sold them at very reasonable prices. And just because I was having dinner, I thought to myself, I'm like, well, let me just get to this in like five, 10 minutes. And it's one of those situations you snooze, you lose. You could have waited for five more bites just to have gotten that guitar. And I'm pointing That's out four and I say five. I can't count. Anyways. <laughs> That's the regret. Um, so it's funny that, that we're talking about that. I would love to own and play again a Picasso. At this point, any Picasso. Hell, I'll even take the camel finish back, but um, it's so close. I love this Picasso guitar. I remember when I first saw the Pull Me Under video and he was playing it. And then, you know, he made the switch to Ernie Ball Music Man around the time of Scenes from a Memory. And he's been playing them ever since. I like what he's done with his model. I think it's cool. I guess for me, you know, maybe it's time bias. Maybe it's just because I saw the Picasso Ibanez first and I gravitated towards it. I actually do have one confession though. As much as I respect Dream Theater and I do love them, Images and Words is still my favorite album that they ever did. I tell Dream Theater fans that and they want to hang me for saying it. They prefer the technical off the wazoo stuff that they've been putting out the last 20 years. I could see their point. I, I could see what they're, but Images and Words, like, wow, I, I have to agree with you. That's definitely in my top three albums of Dream Theater, 100%. Um, granted, I started listening to Dream Theater. I mean, Images and Words initially when I bought it, or I think I bought Awake. My memory fails me, but um, it didn't Just work Just as good an album. Just as good an album, yeah. But then I started with them later on with the album Train of Thought. I think that one looks very technical, very, very dark. I call that their Mashuga album. <laughs> <laughs> it was heavy. It was dark. Train of Thought did something for me. And it was from there that I started exploring more into Dream Theater stuff. But more onto the Picasso guitar. Why that's great for me. For me, it's a it's an incredible guitar because I learned watching that guitar. I never had a teacher. In Bangladesh, we didn't have guitar teachers. My only teacher was John Petrucci's Rock Discipline. That was the disc that I would watch every day for the next, I don't know, months. From the hand stretches to like the little alternative licks. And in that video, all you would see him with is that Picasso guitar. And so for me, that was it. Like, wow, like, 
one day, maybe. That is a really cool story. See, I, I admit, as much of a Dream Theater fan I am, I'm a bigger Rush fan. I was always crazy about Alex Lifeson's tone and his playing ability. To me, the way he would just come up with solos, it was like out there. He based everything on like his blues background, but mm -hmm. then like, you listen to a guitar solo such as in a song like Free Will mm -hmm. or, I don't know, Take Your Pick. His way of just like writing out his solos is just, I mean, there's, there's melody, there's feel, there's technique. I think all those things are important. Yeah, and yeah. I would have to say Lifeson was definitely one of the guitar players that shaped me. You know, I have to give him all the credit. Well, not all the credit, but a lot of the credit. I mean, look, and then even to this day, John will always say, um, but, you know, he's, <laughs> he'll joke and say he's ripping off techniques and sound and tone, all everything from Lifeson, the whole chorusing distortion. That's all Lifeson. Honestly, yeah. I don't know, like before, I know people were doing it before Alex Lifeson as well, but for me, it's like that's where it started. And then John. I'm happy to say that I saw the Train of Thought tour and they covered the Necromancer Incredible. on that tour. Incredible. I uh, got to see that. So that video from Jones Beach, I was there. That's insane. <laughs> I was in back. <laughs> oh, I, I remember I was with my friend Jerry and I'm just like, dude, are they playing Rush? And he's like, what? What out? They're playing the Necromancer. We flipped at, and it sounded so good. They do great covers. I mean, even their cover of Xanadu was great. I was a big fan of their Yitzi Jam bootlegs where mm -hmm. they performed full albums live. Incredible. Actually, right now I'm actually working on a side project, which I was commissioned to do. It is an old, very obscure Dream Theater song that a couple of artists like I'll be playing guitars and I know like several other people across New York and California, they'll be putting down tracks. So, and it's going to be good production quality. It's, it's a very, I, you know, I'll, I'll keep the song secret for now. When you hear it, I feel like it's something you would definitely appreciate something kind of like, you know, the song, but you wouldn't expect it today, but it's one of those. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Awesome. I hopefully we'll do an exclusive on the music is life uh, YouTube channel where no, that's impossible. I don't want to blow up your spot. You are always welcome back anytime. I appreciate it. One thing that I noticed about you is that technically the point is you guys are an, are an independent band, mm -hmm. right? You do you release everything your own, you copyright, you publish everything your own. It's not every day that someone in that position gets some really cool endorsement deals. You have an endorsement deal with Friedman Amps. Yes, Friedman Morley, the wall pedal company, and EMG pickup. Good stuff. Active or passive? I use the passive ones. They're the signature set by Prashanta Swani, who's an incredible player. There's a story to each segment of how it led to an endorsement deal. Friedman was essentially probably one of the things that just happened naturally, where I know I've been a long-time Friedman amp user, and I would talk to Dave on and off. And one day, you know, I sent him my album, and he just wrote back saying, like, you know, I love your... I, I took a screenshot of this message from Dave Friedman where he said, I love your band. That was it. You know, as a musician, a lot of times, especially, you know, most of us, you're not always getting a return out of it. There's not always a financial. It'd be great in an ideal world where I just do music and I could live off of it. It would pay my rent and bills. That's not the case. And it's OK, especially today with the pandemic and everything. It's like I'm, I was almost glad that I'm not a full time musician and that I could do both that I could maintain somewhat of a, a stable life job and do music on this uh, at the same time. It's little things like that, getting from the people who are out there putting their name on stuff. And like, when you hear like, for me, that was worth it. And ever since then, you know, it's like, you know, Dave was like, you know, I, let me just put you on the roster and let me know if you need any help with the Freeman amps. I'm like, you know, sending me like the new amps that like I, I think I even have like right there in the back, you see like the mini Friedman BE. And then there's a custom one he did for me with the pink Tolex. I love the 80s 
everything. And I wasn't, I was born in 89 and I didn't really live the 80s music and stuff, but damn, that's all sometimes I go back to like watching the videos and listening to the songs and the colors and the glam and, and everything. And I'm like, wow, that was like so eye-catching, so such eargasm. I think that's one of the things I try to keep or like bring back nowadays retroactively. If you know. I appreciate that so much. And I say this with all respect in the world, seeing you with the pink amp, it kind of stands out to me the way Randy Rhodes had the white Marshall head. Marshall head, yes. And I think it was the only guy that did, or at least he's probably the most well-known guy that only had the white Marshall head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, when I think of white Marshall heads, I literally just think of randy that's it that and polka dots <laughs> and polka dots yes but yeah that was that was the thing so friedman incredible morally incredible i mean growing up i was a huge fan of steve Vai, and he had that song bad horsey and yes really, every time you would watch steve Vai live and you see his leg go just like crazy i'm like does he not have to turn his wah pedal off or anything and then you look more into it i love Vai, but i hate him because he makes everything look so natural i get so jealous it's so fluid it's so and i and i saw him play live last year at nam it was, he, they had a secret ibanez party show i was able to somehow manage to get in and it was incredible that was the first time i saw Vi live and i heard him play for the love of god cassette in my mind that was like a thing it's like if you see steve Vi, you need to see him play for the love of god because there's, there's a lot of feelings and emotions there but his tone his sound his skill flawless like a true performer sometimes i would say when i was younger you know what i may prefer listening to a i don't know joe satriani track right now but i always knew if i want to go see someone live it has to be by because he, you know, he, he'll put on the costume or he has the colors and stuff, you know, like I, I think a good portion of, you know, what I get my inspiration from is him. He's definitely one of the guitar players that shaped the trajectory of where guitar went in the 80s. I spoke about this with Damiano Christian from Sacred Oath. You know, just the fact that he came up through Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa practically hazed him. Yeah. Making him like, you know, transcribe full albums, then doing it in odd signature times, then doing it backwards and things like that. It's just like, how much abuse could you put this one guy through? To Vi's advantage, I mean, he joined so many bands that shaped the way the 80s became. This band, Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Of course, Ingve came from that. And that is still my favorite Ingve recording ever. Uh, no parole from rock and roll because it was my first. Not taking away anything you did with Rising Force or anything after, but you know, your your first is always the one you remember the most. Of course. Except your first slice of pizza. You always hope the last <laughs> one you had was good. But I digress. And then he joined David Lee Roth. That album, Eat Him and Smile, iconic. Then he joined White Snake when White Snake was like the biggest thing it's funny that you know a lot of people that i talk to don't know much about Vi's history they may not always know like he he went through like several layers and like playing mm-hmm. with really great acts yeah, it was ridiculous so he went through the ringer and yeah. he, he at one point he was also not just a protege of frank zappa but i believe he was a student of joe satriani's too yeah yeah i'm sorry everything he got he deserved you know and he earned probably one of the smartest musicians as well because he owns the rights to all of his music. Yeah. He made sure he formed his own publishing company, did his copyright, and made sure that nothing gets played without his permission. And I'm just so glad for him that, you know, he's still a force to be reckoned with today. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was funny that, you know, when he came out with the seven string guitar, I remember I was blown away by that. Not that I'm knocking bands like Korn, because I like Korn, but some of the bands from the new metal genre, just playing the bottom two chords and nothing on the higher frets or the higher strings. I'm just like, ah, oh, you missed the 
the point. You missed the whole point of using the seven string. So yeah. Give me that extra leverage. Not so you could just go low the whole time. I always wanted a seven string. I never really came across one that just like called out to me, but one of these days. I had one at one point. It was a Schecter. It was, it was okay. I just realized that I'm just happier with six. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not going to lie. Tosin Abasi makes me want to get an eight string. There's um, a bossy concept guitars. They look so... They're con- sick. They, incredible. I, I played one at NAMM. Super fluid. Super easy to play. Very ergonomic. Like taken... It is, it, it's a guitar that just doesn't look a different way. There's a purpose to why it looks that way. What's the shape of the neck? Is it a C neck? I would say it felt more like a D, but I think he probably has, depending on like the telly style or the, or the non-telly styles, like I think there's different neck profiles happening. Yeah, he's definitely one of the guys that I listen to a lot today. Him and the guys in Periphery, you know, and through Periphery is how I discovered Guthrie Govan, and he's another great guy. I'm just glad that there's room for guitar-based music now. And even if it doesn't crack the mainstream, who cares? It's still out there. I always think this band, I mean, they've been around for some time now, but Polyphia, these two guitar players, I think they've cracked that. They're in the R&B, hip-hop, rap world right now. That's a part where guitar went in, like, guitar shredding and soloing. Tim Hansen, right? Tim Hansen. Tim Hansen. I'm sorry, Tim Hansen. He's nuts how he comes up with that stuff. Absolutely brilliant. He's made a name for himself and he's done, he's converged with a, a world of music, which, you know, us as, let's say, old school or, I don't know, rock and rollist would never think would exist. He's definitely kind of brought shred to like a hip hop R&B feel. I had this discussion with Baby Ghost when I had them on the show last week that we wouldn't be surprised if music that gets consumed in the future is just an, am- an amalgamation of like all styles kind of converge into one. And Polyphia definitely is a prime example of that. I love what they do. At first, I was like, you know, what the hell am I listening to? But the more I listened to it and I listened to where they came from to what they evolved into, I was just like, wow, these guys, have, they got something good. Yeah. But his Ibanez is really sick, though, with the gold hardware. and Yeah, it's um, it's based off of the AZ series. I think mm-hmm. it's like one of Ibanez's best running lines right now. It's essentially, if I may, it's like... The specs are very close to the Sirs. It's very, it's like my green Sir, but just an Ibanez version of it. It's a really good guitar. How do you feel about YouTubers like Jared Dines and Rob Scallion, who are sort of bringing guitar to a humorous yet still musical platform? How do you feel about guys like that? Well, I think initially, if I, if I go back a couple of years, I would think it's like kind of maybe more so of like a joke. But then now, you know, now I think uh, I've matured you know, every day I keep maturing a little bit about music. And, and nowadays I think actually, actually, I have to think beyond music a little bit. I have to think about the overall picture of it, you know, marketing and like, and I totally get it. And I, so to answer your question, I think what they did kind of mainstreamed or made, you know, this little guitar player community niche a little bit more known. So now you'll find a lot of people who may have nothing to do with playing guitars or drums or music. But they actually enjoy these Jared Dines videos of like all the 10 guitar players you would see at Guitar Center or like the stance of every type of genre of band. And I think that's there's there's a place for that. I'm glad someone's doing that because otherwise all the videos you would have on YouTube are just like, I don't know, a cover of this song, a cover of that song, strict technicality, strict melody. But there's no engagement with the audience. And I think. So I think another another person is like Steve Terryberry. He had like a huge thing happen a couple of days ago where his YouTube channel got hacked. And I heard about that. I felt so bad for him. Two and a half million 
um, subscribers. He got it back. All is well right now. But yeah, like his content, I love. He had a video, if you, if you haven't seen, it's like how to write an Imagine Dragons song. And I saw was, that one. <laughs> hilarious. And, and, and I like that. I like, you know, I have the options of going on YouTube, watching, you know, live videos, serious musicians, serious skillship. And at the same time, you also have these parodies or, you know, just like humorous videos. They're taking something that you love or you have a passion for and seeing it in, in that output. So I think, I think what they're doing is a great thing to spread the overall community and joy of just like guitar or music. I think the fact that they actually have the talent to play incredibly well mm -hmm. made me realize, you know what, these guys are greater than what they're putting out. When I saw Jared was bringing like an entire community of guitar players together and he was get basically giving them a platform, mm -hmm. you know, with his Shred Wars videos yeah. and then like having the longest, you know, Shred. And, and I give Rob a lot of credit because he brought to my eyes, Sarah Longfeld, who I think is a great guitar player as well. Mm -hmm. and stevie i i love stevie t but you know that face that he makes the that one oh. <laughs> but you can't you know his person he owns it and that's why every time he makes these faces and then he does like -la -la -la, something like that um richard I benson richard benson richard benson yeah, I, I love i love that that's why, we, you know, it's good with i mean what they do honestly i think is harder 10 times harder than sitting there learning something that's really tough and then just like recording, I don't know, your fretboard and your hands moving. Look, I do that all the time. And I know like that's an easier way out versus having to look at the camera, coming up with content, coming up with a story, converging the music into it. So I think what they do is like takes a lot more thought process. There's a lot more editing needed, a lot more skill sets needed. Yes, the playing itself, they're not necessarily like playing the most incredible licks every, you know, video to video, but it's the ideas they put together that's like, you think to yourself, wow, this is great. Why didn't I think about that already, you know? Yeah, they're using video as a creative platform for them to get their talent out there while also trying to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, exceeding at both. I think it's great when I hear guitar players talk about, man, did you see the last video that they did? That was that was really good. To me, it's like, I try to, personally, I, I try to, not, not to emulate, but I try to absorb as much as I can from everyone that I meet that's a guitar player, because I always feel like I can learn something. When I sit down with them and have a conversation like I am with you or when I'm watching them, I think one can only appreciate the fact that it just pushes you to want to be better. I, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've encountered myself or somebody else saying that they saw a guitar player who, in their opinion, was better than them, that made me say, I'm, I'm just going to give up. You know, I think that's one thing that guitar players have in their DNA, mm -hmm. practically, that just makes them want to keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. As a guitar player, it's very easy to feel discouraged or demotivated, especially the longer you've been playing. Again, it's all with these YouTube things that like you, you'll see like these these new kids, like, again, they're running circles around you. And, and then you think to yourself, like, what am I even doing anymore? And, you know, you know, I've been, I've been in that, in, in that, in those shoes too, but um, I really think it's about how you deal with it mentally, having an open mind, not being, not being closed-minded in terms of like, oh, you know, I, I'm older than you, or I have more experience. I know better, but that, that's the thing that's going to kill you. But like, like, like you mentioned, even for myself, like when I, whenever I come across, let's say uh, a kid who's 18, and if I see him do something that's like really cool, I'll just walk up to him and be like, yo, how'd you do that? And that's it. It's, I think that's 
the mentality. That's what the motivation should be, that there's always room for growth, that you're always learning. I, honestly, till the day you die, you're still learning. Um, Amen. Amen to that. So, yeah. So I, I, in thinking like that, it keeps me heavily motivated. I'm like, all right, you know what? I may not be able to play these new techniques or these two hand tappings or whatever it is, but like, I'm very confident and happy about what I can do. And I think at the end of the day, that's what matters. And I know we've all seen that meme. I forget how it went exactly. Like a jazz musician will practice 10,000 notes for one person to watch. A rock and roll guy will practice, I don't know, three chords for 10,000 people to watch. Something like that. It was like this. And not to say that that's true or anything, but basically what I'm trying to get at is like you don't need to be the best at whatever it is you're doing to make it. You could be doing something very simple, but if the feel is there, if it feels right, if it's melodic, if it's connecting with people, that's it. That's all you're really looking for. You don't have to be like, oh my God, I'm the most skillful musician. I have to be the most skillful musician in this room. Skill will only take you so far. I think that's a very good point. I think having skill is good. I think having your own voice as a guitar player is better and more important. 100%. You don't need to compete with others. You should always just compete with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you mentioned, you keep learning until the day you pass. The advice, when, whenever anyone asks me, you know, like, what advice do you have for guitar players? I always tell them, I'm like, you know, just keep learning. You know, keep absorbing whatever you can. Watch whatever you can. Read whatever you can. Learn music theory. Try some new pedals out. Try something you didn't do before. Mm-hmm. You know, you may c- come across something that no one else is doing. I, I admit, during the pandemic, I uh, I went a little pedal crazy. Yeah, you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. So now in my arsenal, I have the, I remember I told you this, I have the TC Electronic Mojo Mojo pedal, the overdrive pedal, and I absolutely love it. I don't know how it got discontinued. Incredible pedal. Paul Gilbert has been using that for years. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's good that it got discontinued. This is good. That's what you want. So. Well, I don't want to pay $300 for a pedal. <laughs> no, but you already have it, right? I'm, yes, I do. Yeah. And I'm never getting rid of it. Exactly. So that's, you know, unfortunately, that's how it works. The moment a pedal goes discontinued in the near future, then prices rise. And then you look, you look at your pedal and you're like, you're so glad that you got this when you did. Not even pedals. At one point, I heard that the Ebo was going to get discontinued, and oh someone saw that I had one, <laughs> and he was like, I'll give you $500 for your Ebo. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Wow. wow. I, I, I may have missed the note on that one. <laughs> well, they're not discontinued. They're still here. So, damn, I missed my chance to make 500 and buy 10 new ones. Anyways, I will say one thing that you just mentioned about um, that you're – ideally, yes, you are competing against yourself. That should be the mentality. However, I will say one thing that held me incredible – incredibly was again i think and and i and i say this because after i moved to america a lot of friends that i have even like people that i I work with in different bands and they'll always tell me like oh like they want to learn to do that certain shred that dream theater thing tornado of soul or something but even before trying mentally they stop themselves they're like i can't do that i could never do that and i realize why that is it's because, and, I, and I, I truly believe in this now, it's like, if you have a goal, let's just say a part of you does want to learn something, um, it is very helpful to surround yourself with other individuals who are doing that similar thing. So had I not been with these friends when I started my guitar journey that led me onto Ingve and Dream Theater, I think today I would have been 
a much different player, not for better or for worse, but like being around these other, my friends at the time, they were playing children of Bodom Licks and Jason Becker, again, lots of Ingvi Munson stuff and being around them made me feel like, you know what, I could learn this. We'll learn this together. And I think that was a great transition for me in terms of like not being afraid to take on more technical stuff than I could handle. But, you know, it is, I, I believe in that whole, you're, if you want to become a lion, you surround yourself with other lions. It'll just happen. Like, you know, whatever the group of people. Mitosis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think you, at the end of the day, yes, you are competing with yourself, but I think it's also good to have a healthy, like a healthy competitive spirit with a friend where the both of you, are just trading licks off of each other. And like, if he, it's one of those things too, like, you know, in the, in the world of working out, someone will tell you, I don't know, do max reps of something. And let's just say your max rep was 10, but then your friend goes and he does 12. Now on your goal, now on your upcoming set, you have a number, you have something to match against. You know what? I want to at least match my friend or do better. So I think that mentality also carries on in guitar or just any string instruments. It's like, Oh, you know what? Um, you see someone play, uh, I don't know, Eruption, for example. I grew up with a friend who was learning Eruption. May, may not have been playing it at the best at the time we were young, but watching him do Eruption made me was like, you know, what? I could learn. I'm going to learn this too so that we can both play together. And I think that was, that was super helpful. Speaking of which, prior to the pandemic, you were on stage at Arlene Grocery for, I believe it was F-Bomb with yes. the tributes for Eddie Van Halen. How was it for you to do the Van Halen tribute? What got you to do it in the first place? Aside from it being, you know, you're playing Eddie stuff. It was an incredible experience. It's one of those things like, you know, it's one thing to play in your bedroom versus like playing Eruption live for the people. And the thing, the, the way I have it with F-Bomb is they've been arranging so many shows of so many different categories and genres. They don't really include me in most of the shows unless it requires technical guitar solo. So the first time they reached out to me was when they were doing a whole two sets of Metallica songs. And they're like, hey, you know, it would be nice to have you with some of these solos that no one else wants to play or learn. And I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it happily. And so the same thing happened with, with, the, with the Eddie Van Halen tribute. They were like, you know what? There's no one wants to play Eruption. You think people will want to take it on there. And I get it. Like even I agreed to it. And after I agreed to it, I was sitting in this room and I was thinking like, damn, I'm like, now this, the pressure is on. I was like, I, I need to, it's one of, it's so iconic that you can't, it's not one of those things you improv. It's, it's it, the Eruption solo is one of those things you, if you do attempt it, you want to play it note for note and you'll never be as great as how Eddie did it but as close as you can. So there's a lot of pressure. Well, and, he wrote it, so... Yeah, so, you know, because there's a whole consensus too today. Um, people look at it two ways. If, you, if you're doing a cover, but if you change the notes around, if you change the timing, a lot of people are just going to be like, oh, you couldn't play the original. That's why you're doing what you're doing. Or depending, if it's tasteful enough, people will be like, wow, I like what you did to it. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can't really always win. It's always going to be a gamble, but like, with eruption, I was like, I tried to learn that to the best of my abilities. And, and, and I think I pulled it out great that night. I was really happy with the performance. And I still go back to the videos even now. I'm like, uh, sometimes even I'm like blown away. Like, I can't believe I did that for an open crowd. In the crowd, okay, this was one of my moments. Mm -hmm. Now, in the crowd, there was actually a fellow artist 
that was watching me play that loved how I played it. And I'm a huge fan of him. And that was Chris Amott from previously. No way. I swear to God, I have a picture with him too. He was in the crowd. Oh my God. His solo for In Flames of Suburban Me is probably one of the best ever recorded. You and I are like so similar in terms of music taste. This is crazy. Like, you know, I know earlier you mentioned Stradivarius. I hear no one talk about Stradivarius here. And Suburban Me, my all-time probably favorite song ever. And when I heard that solo, I learned it. I play it to this day. It's just, it's, and he was there. And oh, I, I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. That, that is, oh man, that is an amazing story. And I'll tell you one thing. When I saw the video of you doing Eruption, I think the first thing I texted you was, I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, but no, thank you so much. It was incredible. It was an incredible night. I can't, you know, I can't with, with uh, especially with Eddie passing earlier this, this year. That hit me more than losing Freddie Mercury or Eric Carr. And I'm a huge Queen and Kiss fan. Yeah. But, you know, for me, Van Halen, Eddie being the one that I remember seeing the first, because I saw the jump video when it, when it first came out, oh, I'm aging myself again. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Please. I'm, you know, again, for me, it's like, sometimes I feel like, I don't want to use the word like a wannabe, but it's like, I never got to live those. I didn't grow up with musically. No, like I grew up with Dream Theater and Symphony X and Stradivarius and In Flames. That's what I started with. I didn't even know who like Nirvana was or Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was, so that's why I say I started in a very backward trend. Today, I was listening and I listen to probably the Chili Peppers every day now just because. Is it me or is Fushante just an amazing guitar player? Amazing, amazing guitar player. And you know what? I, I won't lie. Back then when I was listening to like Symphony X and eBay and Dream Theater and people would be like, oh, what do you think of Chili Peppers? And, and I was probably one of those kids being like, oh, it's, those songs are easy. That's nothing. I would, you know, listen to, listen to Symphony X, listen to Michael Romeo. Like that's what I was doing or, or Cacophony. But it's weird. The more you mature as a musician today, when I hear what I used to think was simple arrangements from Fushanti, I'm like, I'm struggling to play in the style of Fushanti. And it's Me not too. struggling hardcore to, to sound like him. And, and the, the appreciation is like, all of a sudden now I'm like full appreciation. I'm like, wow, these songs are classics for a reason. Yeah. And he's playing like the vintage strats. So, you know, he's yanking the crap out of the neck. Yeah. And, you know, just plugging in, not clean through his Marshall. I mean, he has his pedal board. I know his wah pedal is an Ibanez wah pedal. It's the one that would be one that keeps breaking down. Yes. <laughs> and I think they re-release it to make sure that it doesn't break down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I heard the funny story where John's guitar tech was looking for one because he broke his one the, the, the previous night and Eddie Van Halen had the only copy of it left. And the guitar tech says, yeah, Eddie's willing to give it to you right now. The guitar tech goes to Eddie's house, you know, 5150 Studios. Eddie comes out with the pedal. And he's like, this is a piece of shit. You really want this? <laughs> it's great. I can imagine that. I can really imagine that. And that's, I, I, I vaguely remember that story. I love John's guitar tech, by the way. I thought the guy, I love the videos. I love watching those rig rundowns. And he's, he's an awesome dude. The pedal board, everything. It's, it's very, very impressive. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, you know, if you think about how he played on Mother's Milk, the first album, that was almost Steve Vai like the way yeah. he was playing on that. And then he went on this Hendrix kick with Blood Sugar Sex, Sex Magic. And from there, 
you know, just became his own style, which yeah. is something I appreciate more than someone who's trying to play like Michael Romeo or someone who's trying to, it's not exactly like Timo Tolki or, you know, someone who's trying to be like Zach Wild. I would pray they try not to be like Zach Wild. I mean, all, all respect to Zach, but I can't take the pinch harmonics every measure. Hey, and at least you know it's him. You just, whenever you hear it, you just know that's him. I know. Dimebag did it better though. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, well, I would just, to me, there were always two different sounds. Like the Zach Wild pinch harmonics is like the Zach Wild pinch harmonics. The Dimebag squealies, yeah, untouchable, you know? I know. I I miss Dime so much. Although I did do something crazy recently. I did buy, I and I'm willing to admit it, they're bootlegs from Russia, but they, uh, on, on eBay, they were selling them on CD, the Glam Terra albums. Ah. And let me just say this. They're really good. <laughs> I I've heard about those. I, I I have not. I have not heard it. I, I need to look into that. All right, check your We Transfer tonight. Anyways, <laughs> with the point, you guys have a new album coming out. Your third album. The third album. It, it, we're pretty much looking at about eight to ten different tracks, and it's kind of like an amalgamation of the sound of the first two albums we had. The first album being This Is American Royalty. Again, everything's available on Spotify and iTunes. You just have to search The Point with a Y, P-O-Y-N-T. Um, and the first album we released was more heavier, more prog. So I hold that album close to me a lot. This is American Royalty. Um, and then going into the second album, which is called Alpha Q, we took a more kind of 90s grunge approach to it. We wanted to like play around with the sound, work with our producers, write music a little bit different than we used to. And while both albums have had great um, kind of like responses, some people were always like, oh, I miss the touch of your first album. Or, or a lot of people are like, I really love the sound of the second album. So going into the third album, we wanted to kind of take that heaviness from the first album, heaviness and progness, and kind of combine it with a little bit of the grunge feel that we kind of achieved in that second album. So there's no name yet for the third album, but we will be releasing a music video soon, which we shot during the like right before the pandemic so it's been sitting it's like a professional video and it looks really good um so i'm excited to get that across i'll definitely send you a link um look forward to it yeah and then the band consists of um uh, my dear close friend his name is eduardo alarcon i met him at guitar center actually incredible songwriter and the singer and rhythm guitar player of the band um and then on drums we have his, his name is dom dom vasaturo guys like uh He's a powerhouse and um, he really like I really feel comfortable playing with him, even though he'll like up the tempo pretty much every time. But still, sometimes, you know, when you're playing live, you, you need that, you know, that live um, essence or that energy. Um, in bass, we have a guy named Steve DeCasa. Unfortunately, he's like in the middle of like moving right now. He, he recently did get married. I think he's like moving deeper into Philly. So I think he's taking he's stepping away from the band temporarily for a little bit. So in the meantime, we are searching for bass players. We are looking for bass players on, um, to fill in a couple of the show. We have a show coming up July 3rd at Dingbats. It's in Jersey. I've never been, but I know it's like a very iconic um, bar slash venue. So, yeah, we're, we're planning, uh, you know, there's going to be some Pantera stuff happening, some perhaps Megadeth stuff. We planned about the Megadeth stuff before the whole David Elson like scandal thing. Yeah, happened. let's not talk about that. No point in, no point in crying over spilled cream. Yeah, yes, we you were completely missed the point of that joke, didn't you? <laughs> or you're just like not even acknowledging it. 
no no it's i'm just sad and like a lot every time i just like think about it and so me too me too i uh i pray for dave ellison and uh his family you know just yeah. hope that uh, they can pick up the pieces and sue the hell out of the scumbag that freaking leaked that footage how far are you willing to take it with the point personally i'd like to see you play the garden i would love to i want to take i i you know i'm in a position right now i want to take the point as far as i can and uh girl because playing with the band there's a different growth versus playing by yourself and at the same time you know working with these great companies like we talked about friedman morley emg it's like just more room for growth so I would, you know, that would be, I could, I would die a happy man if I could ever play at the garden. Like, even if, even if I was a support band at the garden, still, I would just like, I would take that to my grave. Yeah, just to say you had it under your belt. Absolutely. Well, look, Adnan, I admit that before we became friends, I was a fan first, and I'm proud to call you a friend. I will keep supporting what you do, and I will keep talking about it. I'll promote it every chance I get. I think you're one of the young guitar players that I feel like people need to take notice of. I love what the point's doing musically. You guys always have a spot here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Lula. Like, honestly, I can't say enough. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised that we, you know, um, we don't talk more in person and I get it with the whole pandemic thing, but like, I love what you're doing. Please keep doing what, you know, this music is life. It really is. Um, I think a lot Second of Second artist to say the name of the show. Woo! <laughs> I'm glad, you know, um, uh, the little things that we talked about today. For you to say Stradivarius and Inflames, ever since I moved to the U.S., I feel like I don't hear enough or I don't know enough people who will talk or know anything about that. So it's like, that gives me joy. And that's like, because that's what I grew up with. Um, Thank and you. I, and I think it's like, it's just up to us to keep, to keep pushing, to keep doing what it is we're doing. We may be a niche in the community but hey i mean where there's a love for music why not and that's all i care about man is just talking about my love for music i mean it doesn't have to just be metal it could be to me it's like you know there's there's good music and there's music i don't like and i just want to talk about music that i like that's good Perfect. and you know your band's killing it all i care about is that people like you have a platform and i'm happy for this podcast to be it and like I said, I'll keep promoting it till I uh, till I stop drawing breath. So much, thank you so much. I really cannot cannot say enough. That's uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. And um, you know, next time, if you're in the area, like you know, once things get better, everything's vaccinated. If you find yourself in Astoria or, or Queens or wherever, just like just hit me up. You know, I, I want to meet you, grab a drink, but let's talk more off camera. I'd be honored. Thank you so much. What's the points website? Just so people can check it out. So it's www.thepoint.com or .nyc. I think either or will we'll go to the same source. So either way, we'll have it in the description below. Adnan Suleiman of The Point, thank you. Salute. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No problem. To check out more about the Music is Life podcast, check out musicislifepodcast.com. Don't forget to also check out the Ratsai Review Network that this podcast is part of. Also check out some of the other podcasts on the show, including Beyond Bushido, a pro wrestling podcast, Old Man's Metal Musings, The Vieira Vault with Ralph Vieira, Suck My Balls, the South Park podcast. I saw you crack a smile at that. Go ahead. Laugh it up. It's okay. Everyone else does.
Awesome. And don't forget to check out the Mothership Show, Rat Side Review, where you can catch me, Greg Noggle, and Wayne Noon every week talking about new albums coming out, metal news that's happening, and also check out some of the other shows that we do, including Screams from the Grave, where we talk about albums that history has forgotten about. I'm happy to say that we got coming up soon, Megadeth So Far, So Good, So What, and we also have Man of War's Sign of the Hammer coming soon so that's gonna be a lot of fun anyways just had to do that so don't forget check us out music is live podcast.com and ratsireview.com thanks for tuning in and once again thanks to my guest adnan Suleiman of the point cheers good sir and and don't forget all art is valid Thank you for listening to the Music Aside podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsaw Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsaw Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metal's Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers.